Once again, like, where is the view, bro? Like, he doing that crap again, man. I don't know where he is. Oh, here you go. Yo. Yo, Specs, I know we got an interview with James Morpheus today, boy. Boy, I got a little situation back here, bro. What, bro? Man, I got a T-Rex behind me, bro. What's in the background? A T-Rex, man, like a dinosaur, bro. I know you hear roaring about Holly, bro. Yeah, bro. I would love to be here, but I gotta deal with this right now, bro. It's crazy, bro. What? Man, I already knew it, bro. Alright, bro. I got it, bro. Go ahead and handle whatever you got going on, bro, because that just sounds crazy as hell, bro. Man, I hate this job, man. <laughs> What's up, y'all, man? Welcome back to the hood. Just to come chill on the green box with Specs Thompson and, you know, The View. Once again, man, he's not he's not here. Every time I do an interview, it, it just it just happens. Something happened this time, and apparently something happened down at the uh the museum today. And I guess one of the villains he, he worked with took control of one of the dinosaurs on classic Batman antics going on with him, and he has to go down there, you know, and deal with that situation. But uh welcome James. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming mm -hmm. on the show. Uh thank you. That's showbiz at this right? Yeah, man, that's me. Uh, uh, dinosaurs just one dinosaur can ruin your whole day i know right um but yeah interest yourself tell people who you are you know and a little about yourself real quick uh i'm james mobius <clears throat> i am a comic book illustrator and writer and musician and a bunch of, a bunch of other stuff um <clears throat> i make a book called punk rock alien space girl adventures which is a um, science fiction, uh, action, adventure, romantic, comedy, musical story. Okay. Um, uh, and all the musical stories in it are true stories about all the crap that has happened to bands that I have been in in the past. So semi-autobiographical. Okay. But I think people would rather look at drawings of a cute, green-skinned, pointy-eared, pink-haired girl than an old Jew. So. <laughs> Hey, man, you never know, man. You never know. But, yeah, I understand. I understand. Uh, but, yeah, start starting this show out. You know, I got a series of segment questions I do, you know, so people know I'm getting to learn more about you as a person as well as your works you do as well. Uh, my first segment is uh, a series of icebreaker questions I call Breaking It Down. And, um, um, you, you, of course, you you probably did uh, back when you younger, you know, set in the green box in front of the, your house or your neighborhood. Did y'all have those? Uh, no, green. There are some gray boxes in my city, but uh, they're green. Well, nowadays, people paint them with like little murals. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. yes. So uh, the color may be different, but um, <laughs> over here, uh, they're a little bit lower. They kind of look like a bench type area. So we. We kind of sit on them, you know, growing up, you know, chit chat with your friends and break stuff down. So here I can do the same method, but instead of breaking stuff down, I'm gonna break your brain down so people get to know more about you. Right, so My brain broke down a long time ago, but okay. Oh man, oh man. Right, maybe still something I can, you know, peel through a little bit. Uh, but my, my first question is uh, uh, if you had to be an animal, <laughs> what animal would you be? That's, I love that question. That's exactly the kind of question I always ask people. <laughs> that one, you know, I 
I'm a member of a, a networking group of artists in, in Boston called the Boston Comics Roundtable, and we have a weekly meeting. It's online now. It used to be in person. Hopefully, it will be again someday. Uh, and we always have an icebreaker question, and we take turns running the meeting. And I always will ask something like, "What's your favorite color?" Because everyone else is in the room. It's like, "What's the most important thing in the universe to you?" <laughs> what kind of animal would you be? Is one of my favorite questions. Uh, do I have a I like sea turtles. I think they're really graceful and elegant, and they get to fly, but they're underwater at the same time. Um, but really, a cat is the answer. Because uh, in my next life, I want to be a cat because I'm going to need a 15 year nap after this one. <laughs> that's basically the deal you get. You know, sleep all day, you don't work, you don't pay rent, no taxes. Uh, free food, room, health board, medical care, the outcome of political elections doesn't affect your lifestyle. <laughs> at all. Who's really in charge here? We clean up their poop, you know. But a, uh, what, what type name. of cat? A, a pampered house cat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> short hair, so I don't end up with too many coughing up hairballs. Uh, okay, okay. All right. My next question. Uh, and I know you. I know you got so much going on with uh, everything you do, but do you have a pretty good like uh, uh, work-life balance, or is it everything real hectic in you in life? Work-life balance. Wow. <clears throat> I don't have. I'll tell you this. I don't have one. <laughs> what, is, what does that even mean? I don't know, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, for actual income-producing work, I've done a lot of different stuff. Um, you know. I worked in a, a bakery when I was in college, and I was a chocolatier for a couple of years, which was a fun job, but the company was a little dysfunctional, so. Was it Wonka? Uh, alas, no, that would have been cool. <laughs> uh, and then I started, uh, I went to electronic school. I went to music college, Berkeley, so a degree in music. Uh, it's tough to pay the rent with music, though. So I went to electronic school. I used to fix TV sets before they were flat. Uh, now people just throw them out. So I learned to fix houses. So that's what I do for money. And I make my own hours, basically. I, I used to work for a small company, but uh, I've been independent for a couple of decades now. You know, people call me when they need me. It might be Saturday night at 11 o'clock. I get a phone call from some college kids whose landlord is my client. And they're like, our toilet isn't working. I'm like, okay, I'll be there in 15 minutes and I'll go fix it. No, whatever. Uh, so, you know, Monday morning, I don't... I have to set an alarm to be somewhere at 7 a.m. I just, you know, get around 8 or so. Let's see. I have a long list of very patient clients who are happily waiting for me to fix small things in their houses here and there. Uh, I'm blessed that way. You know, I, I can't imagine going back to a 9 to 5 and having to be somewhere. I've done that. You know, I did that for a long time. But I'm like, I like the freedom because I can... You know, sometimes I work on all day, Saturday and Sunday or whatever, but on the other hand, I might just decide, you know, Monday, I'm going to draw all day. So I guess that's some kind of balance. Uh, yeah. I, I used to, uh, I used to DJ pretty, pretty, pretty often, you know, and, you know, just DJ, go to the club, you know, come back, you know, sleep all day and rinse and repeat. And uh, <laughs> I just, well, I probably had nine to five now for like, probably five to six years and definitely trying to get out of it that's why i'm doing podcasts and comic books and all kind of stuff because it just it felt like it slowed me down but you know it, it kind of didn't but you know i blame it you know it slowed me down i still can work around it but i don't know but yeah, uh, 
Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You good? You good? I feel like uh, I was thinking about it the other day because uh, I, I got a sister who's an artist and she's a jewelry maker and a storyteller and she's supported. She's my hero. She supported herself doing that for like 30 or 40 years or something. Uh, but now she's uh, it's slowing down a little. It's getting tough, especially with the pandemic. You know, it's small business. So she's like studying some computer stuff to, and actually thinking about trying to do something else and make some money. Uh, and I sort of think, I, I just was toying with the idea. It's like, can you imagine working at Starbucks or something? Like <laughs> no. Uh, God, that would suck. Because I'm really, well, I'm really like getting old, feeling my mortality. I'll talk about that more later probably. But I'm just like, I got a lot of art I want to get done before I die. Uh, that's like my top goal, other than taking care of my family, my parents. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't need opulence, a lot of money, just enough to get by. And I'm, mm -hmm. I mean, a piece of paper and a pencil is all I need to entertain myself. I, we've got cable in this house. We've got like Netflix and all the like eight thousand channels. <laughs> I, yeah, I never look at it at all, ever. I watch some stuff on YouTube sometimes, but uh, I I just rather spend my time drawing or working on my music, which has been on the back burner for far too long. But uh, I'm just really gung-ho working on this comic at the moment. Yeah, I understand. And uh, for my next question, for this to work out correctly, uh, what was the name of the band? Yeah, Mojo. Uh, Mojo Ceratops, yeah. Okay, okay. That's a real, right. It's a real dinosaur. It was like what? a... Triceratops and it had this kind of heart-shaped bony plate on its head and these beer drinking archaeologists discovered it and they were like what are we going to call it and one of them jokingly suggested that and then they said yeah let's do that and so they did and I saw a news story about it like the next day and I'm like that's the new name of my band and so I grabbed the MySpace domain for it so long yeah. great and uh because my drummer hated the name we were using at the time super gods which I thought was good you know, ridiculous, over-the-top, egotistical name because that's funny because we are, I mean, people will call us all virtuosos, fusion, jazz, rock, band, heavy metal, punk fusion stuff. But we're actually very humble about it. So that using a name that's full of braggadocio is hilarious, ironically. So, but he just didn't like it. He thought it was too, people would take it seriously. People would think we were taking ourselves seriously. <laughs> we did musically, but not in any other way. Goofy songs that was um, where's it going? I have attention deficit disorder. I think I just lost my train of thought. The name of the band, right? Yeah, so, yeah but, we got but, that. Um, would you? Cause my question was, what, what would be your favorite dinosaur? So, was that your favorite dinosaur? Or no? no? I mean, that dinosaur hadn't been discovered when I was a kid, and I was like all kids, really into dinosaurs <laughs> in the old days. And uh, I think the Brontosaurus, which I guess doesn't exist anymore, I think they changed the name to Diplodocus or something. They something. did. So I didn't know that. Yeah, well, the first brontosaur, like, I guess they had the wrong skull on it, and they did in the museum, and they didn't discover that for like decades. And then they were like, you know, the brontosaur, as such, didn't really exist. That was somebody else's head, which, you know, I guess that would be kind of an ego shattering thing if you're that wow. Like, whose head am I wearing? You know, come on. <laughs> this so, is they, so they got rid of brontosaurs and they got rid of uh, Pluto. So. Huh? But yeah, really. <laughs> Pluto. Man. I mean, I like the scary ones with the big teeth and all, but uh, I don't know when I saw Jurassic Park, the first one when it first came out, and there was like this, this you know, uh, serene scene of they're just watching the brontosaurus, but they're getting rid of it. 
the long neck herbivores and they were like oh, it was really peaceful i'm like i could just watch an hour of those mellow dinosaurs grazing on trees you know, really it, used, it used to be a tv show on <laughs> the discovery channel back in the day these had like you know how you got the wildlife with like the, the zebras and stuff they had like a digital form of the the a dinosaur just like that back in the day it might be on disney plus now but i know back in the day when i was in like yeah, middle true. school or early high school it was on tv it's like the only channel I don't have, and that I would like to see it because I've never seen this Boba Fett series or any of that stuff. But oh, it looks, the, it looks really good. Yeah, the Mandalorian is um, mm-hmm. the Mandalorian's out mm-hmm. right now. Uh, people are uh, I like it. I like. I'm a Star Wars fan. I I enjoy it, but people are complaining about season three right now. But uh, all in all, like I enjoy it. So let me let me like, ask you, let me ask you a question. How old are you? I'm 31. 31. Okay, so. Wait, well, let me rephrase the question because I don't have to do any math. What year were you born? 91. Okay, so wait, so you weren't around in 1977 when Star Wars came out. Not quite. I, I was, <laughs> was in a movie theater that no longer exists called the Charles in Boston, watching the Pink Panther film, and there was a preview for Star Wars before it. And it just cracked my head in two. I was like, this movie is going to be the most amazing movie ever. If you weren't alive then, you, you really can't comprehend the, the magnitude of how much that movie changed the world especially for fans of genre material because the special effects were you know n- like nothing since you know 2001 came out in 1968 that was a pretty mind-blowing film that was like Jimi hendrix and then star wars was like eddie van halen they just like took it up technically anyway to another level and I was telling my friends at school about it because they hadn't seen the preview yet. I'm like, there's a movie called Star Wars going to be coming out. There's like this robots and monkey man and all this stuff. And like, <laughs> seeing the scene where R2-D2 like falls over when the Jawas blast him. And like, I didn't understand he was a cylinder. I thought he was shaped like a mailbox. So I made like a model of him from memory out of paper and tape, you know, and like I got the shape wrong. But, um, you know, and then Heavy Metal Magazine actually came out just about the same time. And that really also crack my brain into it because they're all these European artists and I realized comics don't have to look like Marvel and DC or Archie. They can look like you know airbrush paintings of Angus McKee, which are just incredible, you know, mm-hmm. all these other artists working in different styles. So those two things were like huge influence. But you know, there's been there hasn't been a cultural, you know, earth destroying asteroid event since 1977 nothing has changed stuff that now you take it for granted now that you get like movie quality special effects in your tv shows yeah i mean if you watch science fiction tv from 1977 you know it's like you could you could barely see the strings you know it's great (laughs) (laughs) i love old doctor who i'm actually in a this is my tardis i built one my studio my doctor who fans will recognize this curtain here in the window behind me. But, um, oh, I see. see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, still a big Dr. Root fan. But easier than building your own life-size Millennium Falcon is some dude in Texas. I think, dude. <laughs> anyway. Um, sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> I know, we were talking about dinosaurs, but hey, it's good. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, but that, I mean. One of those. <laughs> hey, I mean, I got more questions, man. Everybody get a good feel, but uh, <laughs> That segment is over. That was the icebreakers, you know. We we got some details real quick about some of the stuff about you. So, 
hopefully people are, are intrigued to go further. And uh, my next segment is called Back Issues. Of course, uh, you're in comics, so you know all about back issues. If There's you want to know, thousand of them right behind this curtain. Uh oh, uh oh. But yeah, you know, like if you want to know about a character, you want to know about, you know, uh, Wonder Man, since he got a TV show coming out, you go into his back issues and find more about his, his origin story. See, Wonder Man, see, you need to go in, in the old Avengers, you know, find more about him. But uh, there's a Wonder Man TV series in development. <laughs> I think it's already like post production. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, Speaking of that, like I don't know how they're gonna do that with Vision already being at, being there, but hey, who knows what these um not DC uh Disney gonna do? Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't read the Avengers in a long time since George Perez's run. You're not missing anything. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, we've been going into your back issues so people know more about your origin story. So, so you want to know what's in these boxes? <laughs> <laughs> So my first question is, uh, where are you from and what do you call your hood? Well, uh, I grew up in a town called Brookline, Massachusetts, which is borders Boston. Uh, so, but it's, it's got a reputation as a safer town than Boston has in general, which is statistically borne out. I mean, the murder rate last time I checked was like one every. 10 years in Brookline is a little higher than that, probably. <laughs> uh, and when I was growing up, it was uh, not super ethnically diverse, but it's definitely much, much more so now as compared to Boston. I, mean, uh, mm -hmm. I, I also, I went to some private Jewish schools when I was a kid. So those were, I don't want to say white, but uh, because I, I'm a Jew, I don't consider myself white because my grandparents' generation were put into shtetls, which is German for ghettos. You know, we weren't white enough to not be murdered because we weren't white enough. So I don't want to be called white now. You know, to get that. Uh, and I have relatives who are black and Asian, and uh, I I grew up with an older brother who's black, not my biological brother, but my brother's best friend who has known me all my life. And my other brother, in all intents and purposes, no, my also my mentor in music and uh, computers, world class musician, uh, high school dropout who went on to teach at MIT, genius. You know, uh, which is my grandfather's story too. He was a high school dropout. He was a professor at Rutgers and Yale. Uh, so um, my hood, yeah, that's my hood. I was actually shocked. Uh, I shouldn't have been, but a few years ago, my my black brother was. When there, oh God, what was it? it was big, I guess it was after the George Floyd thing. Did a post on Facebook about having been hassled uh, mm -hmm. for you know walking while black in this town. I was like, I didn't know he kept that from us that he was having a hard time, you know, being pink, you know. Uh, but so it was pretty idyllic childhood, aside from the fact that I hated the Jewish schools because I just was not into religion at all. You know, I just didn't buy it. Mm -hmm. um, I was drawing Spider-Man, and my teacher would come over and break my pencils in class. Wow. Because <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. But I was, you know, getting better at drawing. So no regrets there. Um, yeah, that's my hood. Okay, so, okay. I, I moved away. I moved to Japan for when I was like 26. I hadn't been anywhere. I mean, I'd driven around a little bit. I went to New York City a few times. And, like, 
cars, everybody went to Tokyo to English. Uh, uh, I couldn't get that job and I had cultural prejudice against beards. I did find some work. But after six months, I couldn't get a work visa for what I was doing. So I moved to Boston. After that. I love Boston. I mean, I love New York, but it's like Boston is like little New York. It's got all the same stuff, but on a more manageable scale. So I I love to visit New York. You know, we have like the Museum of Fine Arts here. And all the, I love old architecture. You know, people from it's coastal, so there's people from all over the world. You meet, you know, really diverse uh, uh, group of people we live with. Uh, I, I drove across this country. I drove from here all the way to mostly up north. It was it, it had been a life goal of mine to avoid. Places like Alabama, but I did end up driving to. Uh, <laughs> oh, see, I'm, I'm right, I'm right next door. I'm in Georgia, so you know. <laughs> yeah, I drove through there. It wasn't wasn't too bad. I did get harassed a little bit for long hair and dressing funny. Uh, but I lived in Japan. I drove all the way to uh, Oregon or Cooper a little bit. Very nice stuff there, Canada. People are friendly and give good direction, and they like their money. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm to here, you know, till the floodwaters rise and that happens after it does. What was your first comic or comic related TV show that got you intrigued at doing comic books? Uh, well, TVs didn't get me interested in creating comic books. Uh, Although I remember watching a Spider-Man cartoon on a black and white TV. Uh, mm. We didn't have a color TV. And this would have been like 1970, I guess. Man, I'm old. Kind of old. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember watching seeing, uh, Astro Boy and Gigantor and uh, Kimba the White Lion and uh, Speed Racer. And I didn't know that those were anime. Uh, cartoons are cartoons, you know. And I found out, it's interesting later, when I lived in Japan, a friend of mine was telling me she grew up watching Tom and Jerry and had no idea that was not anime. Wow. <laughs> cartoon on TV. And yeah, I don't think I don't think they speak on that cartoon. Too, so I didn't even think they had like a dubbing issue or anything. Um, yeah, yeah, only the, yeah. Uh, yeah, so but yeah. I was also, I was reading comics from before I could probably read words, I guess. Uh, my uh, father's father, my, my uncle had a, uh, cigar store in Cambridge, Mass, and sold comics. And his dad would bring us books. And he called them literature, which I thought was great. I was like, Jamie, I brought you some literature. You know, he had this <laughs> Russian Boston accent. And uh, so I was reading, you know, uh, what was that? Sugar and Spike and Archie Comics and Six Gun Kid, Spider-Man and uh, DC Comics. So they were always in the house. I called them, my parents called them funny books. Funny books. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just always loved them in Mad Magazine. Uh, and I was drawing comics. I remember, I'm sure I stole some jokes from Mad Magazine when I was drawing comics in like third grade. I, I can, I can't remember what joke I stole, but I remember that I did. <laughs> but I also was coming up with the original characters, uh, even back then. Um, one of which I really want to bring into my comic now, because I think that would be cool to take something I came up with as a kid and use it. 
So yeah, but uh, yeah, I watched super. I watched any com superhero comic book related TV show that was on back then. There was a, there was a live action Spider Man series that I thought was really good. Nicholas Hammond. They should have put him in that Spider Man movie with. All, I haven't seen it yet with all those other Spider Man. They, like, they should give him a cameo or something. I think I think uh, I think he's I think he's in the animated one. Is he okay? Yeah, uh, I'll, yeah. I'm behind in watching everything, but uh, and oh god, the Batman and Robin TV series. Oh, Adam which I love as a kid. I put on a yellow towel and it was Robin, you know. Uh, and my brother had this plastic Batman cowl that was like a helmet, you know. <laughs> Those things are worth like a fortune now. Man, I wish we still had it. Not that I'd sell it if we did, but um, so I was really into that. Um, Wonder Woman, which uh, piqued my teenage interest in different ways <laughs> god bless linda carter <laughs> so awesome, awesome awesome lady and still gorgeous uh, anyway yeah so it was always it was always around man comics Ooh. i still have some comics i have an issue of the many ghosts of dr graves i think it's called that i've had since i was i don't know seven years old or something it's my oldest wow. book that i managed to hang on to Wow, that's that's a long time. <laughs> Char Charlton comic. They don't exist anymore. But yeah, that's that's cool, man. All right. My next question. Now, what was your first um time you uh your first introduction to music that intrigued you to do music and enjoy music? Oh boy. Um you know, we I grew up in a house with a piano, which I used to noodle around on a little as a kid, but uh my brother played guitar. And piano by ear. My mother was a pianist. Her mother used to play harp when she was younger, but uh, we didn't have one in the house. She they'd gotten rid of it before, yeah, before I was around. Um, I don't know. I, just, I guess I always liked music. And uh, my brothers uh, started a band, and my black brother had this bass. And uh, hang on. <laughs> uh -oh. It looked like this, except it was black. It was a hagstrom. And I have a black one, just like this anyway. Really, um, I thought, that one's only got four strings. And I think that's going to be easier. I'm six years old. I want to play that one. Uh, unfortunately, now I, I play this one, which has six strings. Um, so, so much for that. <laughs> but it was nice while it lasted. Uh, I still play the four strings sometimes. Um, yeah. I... Uh, why did I get into music? What a great question. I don't know. I guess I always liked music. Uh, at some point, I guess I was, my older brothers would just like turn me on to stuff. Uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, oh, the greatest, the greatest R&B act of all time, untoppable. Uh, also, Alice Cooper, about the same time. So very different. <laughs> Heavy metal and funk are like my foundations. As a musician. <laughs> yeah. I don't see any reason not to mash them together. And I, people have been doing that for a long time, but I started doing it like, it's like right away. <laughs> as soon as I learned how to slap, I was like, oh, "Can I slap this Kiss tune?" Like, yeah, again, okay, cool, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> so my own, my own music, that's you know, that's it mixes that. And I like Celtic folk music a lot too. So kind of like to sort of another tangent. squeeze some of that into it. <laughs> there's only there's only two kinds of music: uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Great jazz trumpet player said in my graduation at Berkeley. He said, There's only two kinds of music: good music and bad music. If you like it, it's good. 
He didn't even have to finish the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like it. Because never mind this bad stuff. Just enjoy yeah, what you like. Yeah, all the good and, stuff only, huh? And then, you know, I was, uh, I, I turned, um, let's see, 1980, I guess. I was 15. And music in the early 80s got really interesting. I mean, there was a lot of great music produced in the 70s. But we had a thing happening. People, young people have asked me, it's like, how come music was so good in the 80s and so diverse? You got all these different bands on the radio getting play. Really, I mean, you, yeah, you got Michael Jackson, you got the Thompson Twins, and uh, there's a lot of glam metal happening concurrent with New Wave, Gary Newman, and then you know, groups like Big Country and YouTube and the Celtic punk thing in there, and uh, Blondie and Talking Heads and Devo, all this stuff. I, I liked it all. Uh, and and my answer was why it was music so much more diverse and interesting in the 80s uh, is because we were living under constant threat of total global nuclear annihilation. And every day, you know, we, we actually lived in fear of the end of the world. It was like a real day-to-day -day consideration when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you don't really have that to quite the same degree. There's plenty to worry about, especially with the pandemic and all. But, you know, we had that hang people had that hanging over their heads. So they were like fearless. They were like, well, you could die tomorrow. I'm going to play this chord. I've never <laughs> played it before. You know, it's like and the record companies were willing to take chances on anything in those days to see what would stick. You know, playing oh, the kids like this uh, missing persons band where the singer is wearing you know goldfish bowl bra and the drummer is insane, brilliant. And uh, so there's a lot of different stuff happening then. And then by the '90s, uh, the Cold War ended. And music started getting a lot more homogenous, and the record companies started being a little more careful with how much money they were putting behind bands. And they kind of only wanted to sign your act if you already sounded like another act that was already successful. They didn't want to take a chance on different styles and stuff. And they still like that now. Music, no, it's, it hasn't improved. It's only gotten yeah. worse, more homogenous and safe, really. I mean, I, there's, there's always uh, great musicians coming up with original new stuff. But the better, more intriguing stuff doesn't tend to get played on the radio, uh, you know, MTV. What was the expression? For M 40 years of MTV. Thanks for 14 years of great music. I've <laughs> seen, seen that meme on the internet because they stopped just being a music channel. Um, but I you know, I discovered a lot of great acts. I still listen to radio, but college radio. In Boston, we have a bunch of great college radio stations. No commercials. They have this one of them says, you're in the middle of another commercial-free decade. It's like, God, I love hearing that. Because <laughs> I have zero tolerance for, I can't listen to ads. I like, change the station. I sometimes listen to commercial radio, but I just like, I don't have time for that. I used to watch a lot of TV when I was a kid. I watched mostly sci-fi. Uh, and then I start, we got video cassette recorders were invented and we could tape shows and you didn't have to be home at eight o'clock to watch Star Trek. You could watch it later. You could fast forward through the ads yeah. and save time. And I did a calculation. I realized at some point, you know, if you watch one TV show for a year, that's one hour, once a week, and you watch all the ads, you're spending 13 hours watching ads. I did the math. I'm like, you would not sit and watch 13 hours of ads, right? Unless you're, unless you're in the UK. Yeah, right. Why do it a little bit at a time? So <laughs> fast forward, fast forward. So I'm taping shows and I'm not watching them. I'm taping them so I can watch them later. And over on a shelf over there, I've got a lot of tapes that I never watched. <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> and uh, I watched all the Doctor Who, but they didn't have ads anyway. So I don't know. I just I managed to kind of ease my way out of TV that way and free up more time for being a creator rather than a consumer. 
content, as they call it nowadays, or art, as I like to call it. All right. Uh, when, did you, when did you discover that you're a, a nerd? Sorry, what? Nerd when you, what? When, when did you discover that you're a nerd? Like, when did you realize you was different? You're like, oh, okay, my interests are different. Oh, yeah. No, I was always different, man, because I was, you know, I didn't, when I was young, I didn't want long hair, but I see you also are a long hair fellow. Yeah. But man, I hated hair. So the goal yeah, wasn't. Same, same I here. I hate, I hate them too. Like, the no. goal was like, I don't want anyone snipping any part of my body off of me maybe it goes back to when i was eight days old and somebody did that but uh, <laughs> without asking me i would have said no thanks um i mean it's all fine but you know um consent is important no i was always a different i had attention deficit disorder uh which no one knew what that was in the 70s so it was undiagnosed and they were like you're so smart why can't you do better in school you know i've heard this from a lot of people you know you took these took an IQ test. I'm like, you're really smart. How come you don't do well in school? I'm like, they couldn't keep my attention. And it was boring. I don't know. Uh, also, the schools I was in were just extra boring. And when you go to Jewish private schools in America, you have to, there's a you know legal mandate. You have to spend X number of hours studying math and history and social studies. Same things kids in public school do. But then we had, you know, another half a day every day of traditional Bible studies and, you know, boring stuff that I had zero interest in. And uh, man, what a waste of time. Oh, then I come home and watch TV and eat ice cream, um, read my comics. But uh, I was always different, you know, got uh, a funny last name and get made fun of. And um, it wasn't until high school when I found hippies and I, by then I was one and punks who were my friends that I found a nurturing environment to uh, grow up in. I was blessed to uh, go to a really good Brookline High School. It was a really good school. And we had this alternative education program where students had say, and like it was a democracy, like we could vote on curriculum. And we fired a teacher because uh, some female student made an accusation against him. And we actually allowed him to resign because nothing could be proved. We wanted him to be able to get another job. But you know, this is a pretty radical situation for high school kids. Uh, first name basis with our teachers but it was great and I discovered all kinds of more music there and you know that's when I really started drawing comics at that point I got into um, the new Teen Titans that came started in 1980 George Perez the artist who was like number one artist every year pretty much for the 80s he got voted that you know you're familiar with Perez yeah yeah I yes. Yes, I actually got to know him a little bit because uh, I was in a fan club and he was an honorary member and I went to his house in New York and he bought us lunch and uh, just hung out and I've talked to him at conventions a lot. Just, he was such a nice, he was as nice as he was talented and nobody was more talented or nice than George Perez. Uh, he was a huge influence on me. I loved the way he drew, uh, particularly Starfire, my favorite superheroine. I don't know if that's a question for later, but uh, I just fell in love with her and like an unhealthy kind of obsession level <laughs> i'm like i need to be able to draw her but if it looks like he drew her then it's really her so i taught myself to do that by copying his work but meantime i also started you know seeing how does he draw this character and that character? and look at the way he draws that hairs on the curl it's the same but on a different scale and i learned a lot just by i would copy like panels and then pages uh note for note so to speak and it's the same approach to music. I would copy the works of uh, you know, bass players I really like, Stanley Clark and Jaco Pistorius. You know, learn what the masters do, and then you filter it through your own 
head and you come up with your own style that way. And um, that's my advice to young artists. I have a friend now, just made a new friend through my comic book group here in Boston. Who's like, how do you draw? <laughs> like, she's a real beginner as an artist. She's a writer. She wants to learn to draw. And I'm like, wow, okay. So I'm teaching her. So I'm giving her advice, which is really, I love teaching. I, I taught music. I don't really taught art, but uh, I started to write how to do comics book because I was reading one by a guy named Chris Hart. And even though some of the art by Gray Morrow and it was really good, some of it was really bad and made me angry. And I'm like, I can do a better book than this. <laughs> Uh, so I started writing one, but then I gave up. And there's so many good books out there. I don't, I don't need to do that. I'd rather make my own comic book. But, uh, I mean, I mean, you could still did it, though. It would, you know, you never know. It could be a hit. Yeah, well, I mean, I still haven't mastered anatomy yet, so I don't really feel like I'm in a position to write, make a how to draw comics book until I feel like I, every hand and foot I draw is flawless, and I'm not there. <laughs> I'm like, it looks like a hand. All right, good. Yeah, I've lowered my standards a little. Because like Dave Stevens is like, other than George Perez, my favorite comic book artist. Uh, and, you know, pretty much, and if you say Dave Stevens was the greatest artist who ever drew comics, other than maybe Frank Rosetta, nobody in comics is going to say, no, you're wrong. Uh, they're just not. Because he was just he was a realist. He was genius. And um, so good. But um, I'll never be that good. That's okay. He was also very humble and modest. He, took, he was self-taught. No, he went to art school. That's right. But late in life, he started taking like a class. People were like, what are, you, what are you doing? He's like, I want to get better. It's like, you better? You can't get better. You're the best. What are you talking about? Just make comics. He's like, oh, that's too much work. I'm just going to do other stuff. Covers. It's a shame because he produced very little. He did The Rocketeer. Uh, he didn't okay. do a lot of comics. It's a pain in the ass. Drawing sequential storytelling is... It's a lot of work. It's a lot easier just to do pinups, and they're more fun. But uh, I spent a lot of time doing that and portrait work, which was very useful training for comics. Spent two years doing a lot of that realistic portraiture. But uh, I got stories I want to tell, and um, I try not to be too hard on myself when it's not perfect. I spent a long time thinking I'm not good enough to do this, uh, and looking at other beginners and people self-publishing, and even professionals whose work I thought was could have been better you know to be polite i was it was kind of an elitist attitude that i had you know i'm like you're not ready why are you publishing you know get better yet i'm not gonna publish till i get better and i'm like but i used to read uh there's this comic called gen 13 that came out in the 90s uh jeff scott campbell is the artist he was heavily influenced by jim lee he was one of the early jim lee um young bloods and uh disney you know with big eyes um and there was a lot of hype about it. And I looked at the first issue and I'm like, what's all the hype? This guy sucks, you know. <laughs> but then I looked at issue three and I figured something out. He had blossomed. He had solved all his problems. You know, his anatomy was still fantastical and stylized, but cohesive and consistent. And it was beautiful. And it was definitely, you know, uh, within his style, it just gelled. It came together. Everything came together. By the third issue, it was really good. And I started reading it. It was really good and beautiful. And after a while, I started to think, I'm kind of reading this book now for the same reason that I'm reading Penthouse comics, but without the payoff. Uh, <laughs> so I stopped. But then I started reading again because somebody had written in, they made this character Rainmaker bisexual. And believe it or not, back then, this was controversial to have a female character who was openly not straight. And someone wrote in a letter, it's like, I can't believe you did that. I'm never reading your comics again. Wow. 
screw that guy. I'm going to start reading this book again. And uh-huh. I fell back in love with it. And I picked up the few issues that I missed. And I kept reading it until DC bought Wildstorm from Image. And they started, uh, they killed it, literally. I mean, they killed the book. And they killed all the characters in a pretty brutal way. And then they brought them back. But they were clones. And I'm like, oh, screw you, DC. Oh, they ruined my favorite, other favorite book. Um, but I saw that. Then there's a um, one of my favorite younger artists um uh his name phil jimenez uh who you might know dc artist did a lot of wonder woman he started out on a teen titans spin-off book called team titans he started off being a george perez clone and a really good one uh i mean he was it's like man he's trying to do everything just like george but he wasn't quite there in his first published books he had a problem he was drawing craniums kind of a little too small and his anatomy wasn't 100 percent but uh and i was like oh, he has so much potential i hope he gets good and within like three issues he'd solved all his anatomy problems mm. and he was like a star ace mf brilliant artist really good uh and and george perez took him under his wing he wasn't like this guy's copying me he was like oh good someone is like learning my lessons you know <laughs> trying to draw really good um but he's he's evolved in his own style lately his stuff looks more like um uh, neil adams has been a big influence on him recently oh. uh, uh that's that's okay i kind of liked it a little before he went that way but it's cool i'm sure it's going to continue to evolve he's a very nice guy i've gotten to talk to him in person a few times and world-class artist absolutely brilliant and really really a sweetheart too just like george was um but uh, again, three issues, you got good. And at some point I started working on my book and I'm like, I guess I felt like, oh, I'm good enough to get, let's do this thing. You know? I, uh, you know, looking back from when I did my third issue, I started it and looking back on the first one, cringing at the art <laughs> as not being as good as it was by, I realized, oh, look at that. Here's my third issue. I've gotten, gotten I'm pretty good now. I mean, I'm still not, never not satisfied. I drew a face uh two weeks ago i inked it and i was coloring it i'm like oh, i finished it i'm like her jaw is too big God oh. <laughs> it's just like it's gotta be cute it's really important that this you know it's a big face close up and she's giving like a motivational speech to the reader which you find out on the next page is really to her cat but it's yeah. a flip trick you know but uh i was like okay so i spent like an hour in photoshop you know making the jaws a little smaller until it was just right but i don't do that too much now i'm, I'm generally i i draw in pencil first and then i do this trick that i recommend everyone do which is to flip your art over if you have a light table it's really good if you're working digitally it's easy to do because when you look at it backwards you can see errors that you just can't see uh there's a thing i call the slope which is that you see young artists when they draw a head it's an Oh my God, it's, it's an oval, where's my hand? But it tends to lean that way, which is the angle at which we write. When you're, if you write in cursive, it's like a slash from the lower left to the upper right. That's that motion of, that our hands make for you know the first 10 years of your life. You're in school, you're writing all the time, you're always making this stroke, lower left to upper right. When you draw a head, you draw a circle, an oval, it has that slant. My camera is mirrored anyway. And I see that. I, I see it in my old art. I see it in young artists. I see it in professional artists. It can be pretty subtle, but if you look at it in the mirror, suddenly for some reason, uh, it pops out at you. It's like you don't. If you see a picture of yourself, it doesn't look like you because you see yourself in the mirror every day, right? And 
no one's face is perfectly symmetrical. So you're used to seeing your face a certain way. And you look at a photo and you might think, oh, it doesn't look like me, does it? I think that's less of enough. I don't think that's as much of a thing nowadays as it was when I was growing up, because when I was a kid, we didn't have digital cameras. Every time you press click on your camera, you were spending 36 cents at CVS to develop that picture. And you hoped it came out good. So you didn't take so many pictures. Now you got a digital camera. Now you got a phone. I've got 10,000 photos in here. If they don't look good, you throw them out. You know, you take 27 photos of your friend until you get a good one. So we're much more used to seeing our, you know, our face as it is, uh, not in reflection. But uh, nonetheless, I still see people doing this slope thing. And I always tell them, to look at your work in a mirror. And they go, wow, right. And I've heard that from like professional artist Michael Wellen who was like the king of uh, science fiction fantasy book cover art in the 80s and he's still cranking it out. I'm glad to see he's on Facebook now and I can follow him. He told me that at a, a lecture, but I'd already kind of figured it out because I was looking at a, oh, it's right up there too, this uh, album cover, which is a portrait of the musician and it looks really great. And I happen to catch it in the mirror one day. And I'm like, that looks weird. <laughs> and, I guess, okay, well, this proves that the artist did not trace a photo to make that painting of his Gene Simmons first solo album. Um, very great artist, you know, beautiful airbrush painting. And it still looks good, but I look at it in the mirror and it's like, it's got this slight sneer to it, just a little weird. And, um, but I figure if you flip your art over, if it looks good backwards, it's going to look good forwards to okay. you later. Uh, so, that's that's uh that's like i think it's like my most important advice to young artists is to flip your art over check your symmetry i didn't come up with it but uh i kind of did on my own but, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway yeah well what we're talking about tv show comics <laughs> yeah man, it's all good i can ramble, I can ramble uh, a little sorry it's all right so that was in that segment you know of, that was your back issues you know not now people you you don't you don't broke it down for everybody that know a lot about you, but now we're finna go into your hotkeys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Them mm -hmm. them hotkeys right there. We we're we gonna get into that. But being to uh comics, you know what hotkeys is. It's special uh issues, you know, you want people to uh or yourself to get that it's like on the number ones or first appearances and stuff like that. And in music, uh -huh. you know, DJs they use the uh the hotkeys, you know. To play a certain point of a song during the, during a certain part of the uh, a party or the club or whatever, or a certain song during a certain moment. But on this show, we're using the hotkeys to put out certain topics or certain uh, subjects or items. You know, you want people to know about you. So I got a couple of things that you know you told me that you want to talk about that we can you know talk about on the show. And the first one I got for you, I can't say the name though. But can you explain the rise and fall of your your Triceratops with the heart shaped band title? <laughs> the, the Mojo Ceratops? Yeah, Mojo Ceratops. Yeah, the rise and fall. The rise and fall of my band? Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you uh, How did y'all get together? And like, what? Oh, okay. Well, when I was in, uh, I think I was still in music college when I met Bob Melpignano, who's my guitar player in that band. And uh, he had a he was oh, he was advertising looking for a bass player for his his band called Purple Planet. Uh, so there was a we had a we used to have a newspaper in Boston called the Phoenix, which was free, uh, and there were ads in the back for musicians, uh, which were very cheap to put in, very you know, small print. You know, so 
So I was looking for a band and uh, I called him up and he sent me a cassette tape through the postal service in the mail. <laughs> and I listened to it and I was like, it's pretty good. It was progressive pop rock. It was kind of like Rush meets the Bangles. I don't know if either of those acts mean anything to you. But um, yeah, and it, I mean, musically, I was looking for something a little more progressive and challenging, but there was one song on it that just had this absolutely killer chord change. It was beautiful. It was like just the end of a song. And, you know, if a song has a really good ending, that can be so powerful. And just, I can even remember, what was it called? Love and Glory. You probably remember it. It was just so tasty. I was like, that's really good. That was the hook that got me to call him and say, hey, I'd like to uh, audition for your band. So, I was, I mean, I knew I was in if I wanted, not to boast, but I could play this music. Um, <laughs> and so I, I guess I met him and uh, ended up joining the band. I auditioned. They hadn't found anyone who was on my level, I guess, because I, I just got, I, I was still, in, I think I was still in Berkeley at that point. I was playing a lot of, playing all the time and playing really some complicated stuff and writing really. And I was listening to Return to Forever, really complicated music. Um, so I joined that band and then in 1991, uh, we weren't really good. We, we had some success. We got a little bit on local small radio. And um, but um, a friend of mine said she was moving to Japan to teach English, which was a big thing those days. And for some reason, she talked me into going with her. So I, I left and uh, spent six months in Japan, which was an amazing experience. And, you know, had nothing, no work lined up, no housing lined up. It was the craziest thing I'd ever done in my life. I had no idea how. I wouldn't have done it on my own, but she was like, come on, we can do this. I'm like, okay. And uh, she was a friend too, not, not a girlfriend, although I wanted her to be one. Yeah. And years later, we tried dating, but it didn't quite work. We're still friends. Um, but uh, so that's a whole other story. The comic scene over there is pretty interesting. People would throw out comic books. Uh, there'd be a pile of 10,000 manga. There's no exact on the street corner once a week on trash day. So I would just like grab a stack, take them home, look, and never had to buy any. People leave them on the trains and in laundromats, and then like, these are cool. Okay, keep these, throw these out. Uh, pretty soon, I didn't have room for my collection, <laughs> so now I'm tearing up stories that I like and throwing out the rest of the book, and then I'm mailing them back to myself in America because they're still too much. I still have room. I only bought like a couple of comic books there, um, but um, I moved back to the states, and Bob gave me a call, and he's like, "Hey, remember we jammed with this drummer one time before I left the country?" He's like, "You want to play with this guy again?" I'm like, "Okay." Uh, next thing I know, we're a band, <laughs> Fusion Trio. We call ourselves M3 because there were three of us, and our last names all started with letter M. <laughs> and uh, you know, we stayed together for a long time. I joined another band, also playing world pop music, kind of like Peter Gabriel, Santana stuff, uh, much more commercial, mm -hmm. uh, which was a real <sighs> ego lesson because I had to play less. I had to learn how to appreciate using more space and not be a maximalist and like play what are called whole notes, where you play one beat, one note, and then three beats pass by before you play another. You know, it's wow. like one, two, three, two, a ballad bass line is like that. But, you know, we had some music that had some space in it, and I didn't have to be going, uh, you know, um, all the time. Um, okay. and, and I was like, this music is good. I like playing less also. Plus, it's a break, because it gets tiring playing the... The lickety split stuff all the time you know it's, it's good to slow down uh and that was 
great music and we almost had real commercial success until the band fell apart because of interpersonal conflicts and I didn't even know we're going on like the drummer's like I'm quitting unless the keyboardist is fired because I don't think he's professional enough I'm like what <laughs> what's going on here we had a single released in France we were filling the Middle East club on a Saturday night in Cambridge which is like the big gig in town it was like packing it you know we were ready to launch I mean commercial potential uh, but the music didn't insult your intelligence and then it all just disappeared and the singer was like, well, I'm working on some stuff. And then he's like, well, I'm moving to Florida. I'm like, oh, this is where my guitar uh, ended up moving, which is why my band exists only on paper now. Many years later, we uh, we continued with the trio and uh, we took a little break and uh, had a parting of ways with our drummer. Uh, we could never find a replacement for him that would last. And eventually we ended up working with him again. He kind of got his stuff together. And uh, but then my guitar player couldn't afford to live here anymore <laughs> in Boston. He had five kids and oh, yeah. just too he, he sold this tiny little uh, 24 by 25 by 25 foot house in Pembroke, which way of the verbs and bought a big house in Florida for the money on the same day for him and his wife and five kids. Uh, he's like, sorry, man, I gotta go. I'm like, oh, okay. We're in the middle of an album, which we still haven't finished recording. We are going to finish it, I swear. It'll be released and we have other, you know, we're going to keep making music together, but just through the through the Internet. Uh, and I'll put together another band eventually. But um, I promised myself I'd finish that album before I do that. I'm kind of dragging my heels on it. But um, it got to, you know, the uh, when he moved away, it was, it was pretty depressing. It made me like just just going to stop playing music for a while. It was really heartbreaking. Um, he had to do it. I don't, I'm not angry at him. I don't blame him. But it was very it was challenging. And then the pandemic, you know, it was like couldn't gig. Not that, I, not that I had a band, but I mean, I could have put one together three years ago. Uh, and I, I had done a little solo stuff and played with some other people. And I was going to do more of that. But uh, just, you know, not safe to go outside for a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, put things on hold musically. Um, as I was alluding to earlier, you know, it's like I'm feeling my age. And I'm like, my goal is I really want to archive. I wrote 300 pieces of music. Uh, in the last few decades. Not all good, but some of it's pretty darn good, if I say so myself. Uh, you can hear some on my YouTube channel, my band's YouTube channel. And um, I sent you a, a link to something, I think. Yeah. So I really want to archive all my art and music online because that's my legacy and I'll leave that behind. It sounds egotistical, but that's just like, well, this is what I've contributed to the world. And uh, some people have spoken very highly of it and I know it's good. Uh, you know, I'm as good as anyone else, or not everyone else, but and I think this stuff deserves to be, it's you know, heard. And I know that as soon as I die, people are going to be like, That guy was such a genius! Oh my god, too bad we didn't like pay him to play and buy his comics while he was living, but now we can uh get it all for free. <laughs> and it's not about the money, I mean, uh. I was at a convention selling my books. We have a con in Boston called MICE, the Massachusetts Independent Comics Expo, which uh, my group, uh, Boston Comics Roundtable, formed. And it's indie, indie comics, you know. I'm, I'm behind our group's table selling my books, and I've got a little flyer taped to the wall with a link to where you can read them for free online. And this cat comes up to me and he goes, you're selling your comics, but you're also giving them away for free on the internet. How does that business model work exactly? I thought about it and said, you know, society punishes you for being poor 
in so many ways already. You know, you don't have enough money in the bank. Your bank takes what you have and says, okay, now you owe us money. It's like, um, <laughs> like, yeah, well, you only had 20 bucks in there. And so you fell below the minimum. So now you owe us 36 bucks. Now it's 300 bucks. And now it's <laughs> go away. So I'm like, people can't afford to buy my $10 trade paperback or whatever it was. That was a, that's not, it's 25 bucks. It's 150 pages. But, you know, I want them to be able to read it even if they don't have money. Because maybe they'll be able to afford to buy a copy later. Maybe they'll tell a friend of theirs about it who will be able to afford to buy a copy. Or maybe they'll tell their friend about it. Someone will buy a copy. But I'm, I'm more interested in having people read it. And you're a storyteller. You want people to hear your stories. Uh, and that sounds egotistical too. Uh, honestly, I'm really humble. Um, <laughs> I'm here to blow my own horn, so I'm trying to. I'm, I'm generally quite an introvert in real life, but uh, that's why my. Uh, never mind. I had a tattooing career briefly, but I'm just not a hustler, and you have to be a hustler to be a tattoo artist. And, uh, that's why that didn't work out. I just couldn't do it that much. Customer service thing. Yeah. But comics, here's the thing about why I'm doing more comics than music right now. You can do comics on your own. You know, I mean, I can do music on my own too, but it's nice to have a real drummer instead of having to use a drum machine. There's, there's no comparison. You know, a drum machine won't slow down and speed up when you glare at it or encourage <laughs> it. <laughs> like, faster. Um, I, I really love working with real I mean, I can be happy making music. I play a lot of instruments. I could, I could do a solo album, play everything on it, like people do these days uh program the drums whatever and i will do that but i really hope i get to have another band again you know one day there's so many great musicians in this city to work with uh, <clears throat> going back to your uh your comic uh punk rock alien space girl adventures what made yeah. you what made you hey what made you pick that title that's a long title and what made you it's want to do that yeah but, hey, this is what Manga does now. Manga titles are just as long. So, hey, you know, maybe you was on something. Punk Rock, Alien, Space Girl, Adventures. Um, oops, God. My camera is mirroring everything, so everything I do feels opposite, and I can't get things where I want them. Yeah. Um, what made me come up with a title? Uh, it just popped into my head. It's kind of like, it sounds like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Is that too long a title? It's the same number of syllables, I think. Um, just, just about. Plus I remember... Five. Yeah, I remember when that was a cute little independent black and white comic that I saw at a comic convention in the 80s, I guess. I'm like, oh, that's funny. And then there was a radioactive adolescent ninja hamsters or something. Or no, black belt hamsters. There were a bunch of comics with similar titles. That I think the title to that to the Turtles was inspired by the new Teen Titans. Uh, I think they were kind of playing off that a little bit. They were teen in there. It was popular in those days. Um, but um, yeah, I had been working on a different comic before this one, a lesbian vampire romance thing. And I just was developing it with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, I don't know, I just never, I guess I just kind of uh, lost interest in it or couldn't take it anywhere. And then shortly after that, it was 2004, I came up with this character and, uh, oh, you're sharing your screen. Yeah, yeah. And, um, she looks like the character from the previous comic, except I, I decided I wanted to do something. You know, I grew up reading superhero comics, and I love them. I still love them. I don't actually buy any anymore. Uh, I used to draw a lot of fanzine. I did my training in drawing fanzine stories and comic stuff. And I realized I love drawing really colorful, like literally colorful characters. 
I have zero interest in drawing them punching each other or stopping bank robbers or terrorists. You know, I, I, don't want to, I, I would like to draw superheroes on their day off, uh, going to the laundromat and uh, having pizza and just talking shop with their superhero friends. But I want to draw all the action stuff. Uh, so that's kind of where I was thinking when I started this book. And I don't know, I just, I drew this character and maybe I just, I drew her face and I'm like, this, there's something here. Um, came up with the title and I thought this would make a great, like, this, this phrase is going to make me sound old, Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, in other words, animated series. They used to show them on Saturday mornings. I gather they don't anymore. But um, so I thought this would be a cool idea for an animated series. And I wrote a theme song for it. It's kind of punky and sort of sounds like the Ramones and you can hear it on my YouTube. That's fun. Punk rock, alien space girl adventures. And I wrote this song, I recorded it, and I'm like, that's cool. And then I just sat on the idea for a while. And then I started attending these meetings of the Boston Comics Roundtable and getting into doing comics. And I did a little bit of stuff, but I thought I really should do something with that idea. But I don't have any stories. So I took the lyrics from the song and I just made a three page comic out of that. Each lyric became a panel which is, you know, not traditional comic where people are talking to each other. You know, there's no dialogue in it. There's one brief exchange where somebody calls the guitar player a poser because uh, he's not punk enough or whatever. But um, other than that, it's just the lyrics uh, illustrated. And I showed that to my friends and they all really dug it. And uh, I noticed especially women looked at the first panel of Susie and said, she looks cool. I really want to read about her. And I thought, I can't let them down. <laughs> I have to do this book to make sure it's good. And uh, I really like cheesecake, but I'm also a feminist, so I had to try to balance that. Uh, okay. Which, when you're a guy, when you're a guy, can be challenging. Uh, when you're a man and you're a feminist, it's still possible to get things wrong. So I ran the scripts by my ex-girlfriend, which is still my girlfriend. I know we'd broken up, but we're still best friends. Uh, just to make sure, she only made me change a couple of little things here and there. Uh, and then I started thinking, okay, I got to write scripts. What am I going to do? So I started thinking about all the things that had happened to me as a musician. Uh, and I started writing down everything, every gig I could remember where things were interesting. And, you know, we played well, they loved us, they paid us well. That's great. And that happened. Uh, they didn't pay us well, but that's boring. But the gigs where things went wrong are interesting, you know, <laughs> and that makes better stories. And there's, so all the music stories in here, the first issue, I think, is the first one, uh, she doesn't put her band together until the second issue where she gets a parking ticket and uh, U2 drops by the club after they get off stage and they didn't get to see her band because they were put on earlier than they were supposed to be. All that really happened to me. Uh, you know, and then she goes to City Hall to fight the parking ticket and this guy yanks her chain about it. And I don't want to spoil the whole thing. You can read it for free online, uh, but that entire thing I could turn it into a story and tell it on the moth, I suppose. But uh, I just put it into my comic, and uh, I, I got a bunch more of those. And um, most of the rest of it I just made up. She has a lot of weird dreams, which gives me a chance to have fun drawing surreal stuff and not worry about accurate realism, because in dreams, things can be pretty wiggly. Here's my kitty cat. Um, <laughs> and also, in the dream sequences, I had this idea, which I had I, in the first, one of her first dreams, um, is kind of a play on Little Nemo, which is a dream comic from like the early 1900s. Uh, and I thought, oh, what if, you know, she's like on, like he was a kid who dreams like his bed gets legs and starts walking and then weird stuff happens. So I kind of parodied that. I thought, what if I 
like make it look like that style. So I introduced what these call bende dots, where you see the color dots in comics. Halfway through the panel, it fades into that. And I'm like, okay, but then she goes to a planet that looks like the Little Prince, which is a watercolor children's book. So I'm like, okay, let me imitate that style. I thought, oh, and well, the dream sequences could be really different styles. Oops, censored for Facebook. Um, <laughs> which is a thing I really have. And I have one dream that's pencil art. I colored it digitally like I do the rest of the book. But uh, I didn't ink it. So that's fun to be able to do different styles. Like, And I've had ideas to do like a, a Fumetti one maybe where I could get. And i got to get some woman to paint herself green. But I, I have a Barbie doll with pink hair that I painted green. And I made her a little bass guitar. I thought oh, I could do like photo sequence for James. Because now I have to make a robot doll. But maybe I'll get around to doing that. Um, yeah, so I wrote a bunch of stuff, and I have 20 issues scripted, and I've drawn 10 of them. I have 10 more. I'm working on the 11th one, and I have an end, but it's a happy open end. I could continue it if I get more ideas, and I came up with some, but it would involve things becoming less happy because that makes it interesting. That's <laughs> so like... I don't want to spoil the end of the series, but you know, it's it's not like the, the end of Seinfeld. Everyone gets arrested. I thought that was brilliant. I don't know. I only saw like three episodes of that show, but I thought <laughs> that's great. Um, there have been uh, some TV shows with interesting endings. Um, comic books often they just end because uh, the creator dies, or the series. Get, usually, it's the series gets canceled if it's a major publisher. Um, and I thought, well, you know. What happens if I die? Oh, I mean, I'm going to eventually, I suppose. I'm, I'm hoping not to. My plan is to live forever. So far, so good. But I can't count on that, really. Uh, and I like these characters to have a happy ending. So I, I wrote one for them. But, I, you know, I, I mean, their lives would have to get more interesting because they're basically kind of settled onto an acceptable plateau of lifestyle by the end of the series. Uh, that's not too much of a spoiler. You know, nobody dies. It's not Game of Thrones in space. You know, I mean, there's a... One robot is going to meet a grizzly end soon, but not 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 a favored one. He's a bad guy. <laughs> uh, that's a spoiler. Well, there's there's some bad robots in this series, um, but yeah, uh, I don't want to be in a position of like like John Byrne did a run on She-Hulk that was really good and really funny, and I guess it was inspiration for the TV show, which I haven't seen but want to. Uh, and then he left the book because he said he. He didn't have any more ideas. And whatever you think about John Byrne, I have mixed feelings about him as a person and an artist. Uh, he's done some great stuff. But I thought that was so honorable. It's like, okay, because he, he was getting a good paycheck. He could have gotten milk in that, but he didn't want to just go through the motions and crank it out. It's like, well, maybe someone else has better ideas they can do for this character and I'll go do something else. You know, And like, I don't want to just crank it out because people want to buy it if I don't have good ideas, you know. So, and I kind of, you know, I wrote a bunch of stuff and I'm like, well, I had an idea in a while. I was like, it's okay, because I'm I'm going to be 80 years old before I finish drawing this. What am I worried about running out of ideas? <laughs> I'm such a slow artist. I'm able to produce one page a week, full color. Uh, I can't really work. I can work a little faster than that if I don't work outside the house during the early days of the pandemic when I wasn't working much. I got way ahead of my estimated schedule. I thought, I'll be 80 years old before I finish drawing all these scripts. That was my estimate based on how much work I was able to produce at the time. I've gone a little faster in some ways. Uh, I'm way ahead of that schedule. I'm halfway through it. But um, <clears throat> I don't want to rush it, but I also, I have this real dichotomy of wanting to draw every brick and make every curl of her hair be a perfect arc. 
uh, at the same time, I think of myself as a lazy artist because I'm like, okay, I drew a TV uh, and I'm gonna reuse that drawing of a TV in the background rather than draw another TV. <laughs> Hey, people do it all the time. time. Yeah, people do it That's all the time. That's the time saver. And like, I used to feel like that is cheating. Draw the TV again. I'm like, no, because if I don't have to, if I have to draw it from a different angle, then okay. But I'm going to save that TV and I'll reuse that one next time I need to have the TV at that angle. I'm like, she's got all these posters on her bedroom wall. And like, the first time I drew them, the second panel, I started to redraw them. And I said, wait a minute, uh, how many times am I going to do this? Because she's going to be in this room a lot. So I just drew each poster as an individual illustration, and then I just shrink them, and you can skew them and move them around depending on the size of the wall, how far close up you are. And so I, part of me feels like it's cheating, but I'm like, I ain't got ain't nobody got time for that, right? <laughs> I'm not getting any younger, so I, you know, I try not to cut corners. But um, I just finished, um, uh, I just finished coloring a page where I drew every brick, uh, but I also drew a brick wall, which I. Will sometimes recycle just like a sheet of zipatone, which is a sheet of dots we used to use for shading, where you would cut it out with a knife. If you wanted a shadow under someone's skin that was gray and not black, you would cut out a piece of this self-adhesive film and stick it on your art. And you take a knife and you cut off the pieces you don't want and peel them off. And it was not a super high tack thing. You could take it off and stick it back on. If you look at old original comic art, you'll see that stuff. It turns yellow over time. Uh, I still have some of that stuff. I found a bunch of it and I scanned it uh, and I used the scans of it rather than using the actual stuff. So I'm getting my money's worth. I feel bad, but the company went out of business a long time ago, so I don't feel like that bad. <laughs> I'm getting more than my money's worth out of the Zipatone I bought back in the 80s and 90s. People still use it. Uh, tone cheating. Tone films got different names. I think Zipatone was a brand name. Like Frigidaire or Xerox. But um, and then the first time I used those dots, I was like, now it looks like comics. I was so happy. <laughs> it's like I hadn't had any dots in my comic. That's what I grew up with. So I'm like, yeah, put shading on the side of a building. I'm like, oh, dots. Yeah, I miss the dots. Uh, up until, oh, God, sometime in the 90s, like, I guess it was image comics. Uh, people started using computers to color comics. And you couldn't see the dots anymore. This was a paradigm shift. Uh, and suddenly everything looked like heavy metal with this airbrush coloring instead of dots. That was a big, uh, big change. And I used to color my comics uh, with watercolor markers, which looks very nice, but doesn't scan that well. And you get overlap and I was like digitally trying to fix it. And I'm like, then someone gave me a copy of Photoshop for free, a legit copy, because he upgraded. He was like, here, you can have this one. Here's the number you have to type into your computer so you can use it, uh, verification code or whatever. Um, uh, like, wow, this is good. I always wanted to be an airbrush artist. Now I don't have to have a compressor under my desk and wear a respirator and clean out the machine. I mean, I actually had one, uh, which my sister bought to use on makeup, but she jammed it up with makeup and then gave it to me, and I never got it to work. But I know people who use it, you know, and it's like kids today have no idea how easy they have it with Photoshop. And I've got a Wacom tablet here. Here's my airbrush. It's just <laughs> easy. I don't have a, you know, you would cut out with a knife, a thing called a frisket to cover up the bits you didn't want the paint to go on. That's a lot of work, man. <laughs> now it's just layer in Photoshop. Okay, mask layer. I don't actually know how those work, but I, I find my way around. I get it to do everything. I needed to do 
once in a while I, I learn a new trick. Uh, God, I was in this Facebook group for comic book artists and I posted something, I just comment on somebody's post and then someone else said, well, don't you know this thing you can do? I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I, I wasted 20 years uh, carefully erasing the overpainting from the edge of this thing. And all I had to do was select that area and then shrink it by one pixel. And then I could clean out the halo. Oh my God. Yeah. The I didn't know you yeah. could do that. Yeah. Wow. It changed my life. Yeah. And that was amazing. And actually I had that same effect on somebody else once I was at a convention and there's this artist. Oh God. What's his name? Don Parisi who did this beautiful black and white pencil cheesecake vampire art. Uh, just gorgeous, really lush shading and stuff. And he was using his finger to do all this shading that looked like airbrush, you know, gorgeous, smooth stuff. And I assumed he was using a stump, which is a rolled up piece of paper you can use to smudge pencil art. And he had never heard of one. He didn't know about these things. Yeah. Uh, you're not using a stump? And I happened to have one with me, so I gave it to him. I demonstrated it. He was like, you changed my life. It's like, <laughs> this guy was only a professional, world-class artist. And like, I commissioned a drawing from him, and it was the first one he used that tool on, which he wrote on it. I still have it. It's a cheesecake picture of Starfire in lingerie. I hate it. But um, it's like, this is my first stump drawing. Thanks so much. It's like, wow, really nice. I love sharing knowledge. And uh, yeah, it was nice that you, when you can have a positive impact on somebody's life in a major way, one little thing can, you know, it's going to save me hours, hours of time <laughs> just because I knew this one trick. Because I never looked at the... Uh, instructions on Photoshop. I actually have a book on the shelf on how to use it, but I haven't really cracked it open. There's, I like to figure stuff out on my own. I, you know, I can do everything I can, but once in a while you get one of these time-saving tips. Holy cow. But there aren't any more. I think I'm out of time-saving tips. <laughs> uh, I used to hand letter. I hand lettered the first nine issues of this series. And terrible. I knew about digital lettering as an option, believe me. It's funny, speaking of John Byrne, I remember I was in a comic book shop and I'm looking at an issue. I think it was Next Men, which John Byrne drew. And he lettered. He had his own style of lettering, which was recognizable. And I was looking at it and going, every S is identical. He made a font out of his own handwriting. Wow. <laughs> it's like the first time I realized that was a thing. Uh, but I, I like hand lettering. It's very labor intensive. But I like it. gives you a lot of options, freedom. Uh, but they're all there in the digital, too. So I finally made a font out of my own handwriting. I paid eight bucks for this program, Calligrapher. It's called Spelled Funny. And uh, you can get a free version of it, but you have more option to customize it if you give them eight bucks. And it's worth it. You know, it's still a little funky, my font. Sometimes there's one space. It's a little too much space between two letters, but um, I suppose you could tweak it. Yeah, it's it my handwriting. Yeah, it gives a value, though, right? I lettered three issues in one day. I'm like, oh, crap. Okay, I'm never going back to hand lettering because <laughs> it's very slow. I mean, and also, you know, your hand starts to cramp up after, you know, all this. Hand. And I was moving text around because I'd be like, you know what? I want to see the top of her head and there's a word there. Okay, so in Photoshop, I'm going to move that word over here. And I was spending more and more time moving words around, words that I'd written with a pen on paper. And I'm like, if this was a text that file, be a lot quicker just to move those letters around or correct a spelling error. So I finally caved and sold out. Now I'm a digital letterer, but I still draw my hand word balloons by hand and they're very funky shaped. Uh, sometimes they're perfect ovals, but I'm like, I would hand letter first and then draw in whatever space was left over, uh, 
which is still kind of my approach, but now I digitally letter first and then I draw in whatever space is left over. Occasionally the words take over. I try not to make more than a third of a panel be words and I like wordless panels, but you know, you get married to those words when you're the writer and you don't want to give any of them up. I don't have to because I can just make another panel. <laughs> but that's labor intensive too, because I'm like, I read a script and then I'm like, how much, I break it up into panels. Like, Susie says hi, Kasha says hi, Susie says, how was your day? Kasha says, terrible. Okay, I can get those first three exchanges into one panel, but when Kasha says terrible, her facial expression has got to change. So now I need a new panel. Uh, so that's my approach to breaking down a script into panels. But I will try to jam as much as I can into one panel because I'm lazy and I don't want to have to draw another panel if I can avoid it. Uh. <laughs> but yeah. Uh... Hey, that was, that was the hot keys, man. Like you, you give us so much knowledge, and uh, hopefully, you know, people uh, take some of your for real. Like the really the the the, uh, the paper thing you said, flip it over. That really stuck with me. I I was use that because I'm trying to draw myself. I'm I'm never gonna be no Ooh. professional artist, but I can probably critique my work better now by flipping a page over. Yeah, no, big help. Yeah, yeah. drawing yeah. is such a joy. Even if you you know just do it to make yourself happy, it's such a great thing. Kids, every kid is an artist. And then at some point, uh, some of them stop. And I don't know why, but um, all kids draw, right? Yeah. Some of them just keep at it. Yeah. But hey, we got to the end part of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to hit you with one question. You know, uh, uh, this is called Digging the Crates. And of course, you know, Digging the Crates is you're getting that vinyl out, the CD, you know, you're, you're digging through it, you want that nostalgia. Or a comic book, you know, you're digging through the comic books, you know, what you got to your uh your left, digging through those, trying to get your uh that one issue out. But this is that one question, you know, people gonna remember um you from like you didn't know where a peace prize or something like that. And that question is uh I'm gonna take you back to night uh nights ninety-one, right? Um so it's your it's your time you telling about your band and all that stuff and whatnot. So somebody came up to you was like, okay, you can get a record deal or you can be in this this new comp- comic book company that we got called uh, Image Comics. You can be one of our artists and writers. Which one you will pick? You would pick the deal with your band or you pick the deal with in- Image Comics? Okay, well, at that point in time, I definitely would have said the record company. Because we didn't know anybody. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't, I, I wouldn't have thought I was a good enough artist uh, in 1991. When I just got back from Japan. I was okay, you know, I was, I was getting there, but I was, I didn't consider myself professional, but I had a degree in music and I was definitely a professional musician at that point. I could have joined almost any band in the world. Uh, okay, okay. Jumped right in, not, not to boast, but you know, uh, that's, as Jaco Pastoria said, it ain't hype if you can back it up. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was the great. One of the greatest bass players in the world. And one of my teachers studied with him, not under him, but with him. Like they, he met him at a club and they started talking and just comparing notes and jamming and stuff. Okay. Okay, so. cool, cool. Well, hey man, thanks for coming on the show, man. I enjoyed it. I mean, you, you get you gave me a lot of stuff to, to think on because I mean you gave me a different tangent on different way of think uh ways of thinking. Like I don't know, like I never I, I had a lot of Jewish friends. One thing that's another thing that stuck to me, I had a lot of Jewish friends. And uh you made a point that I never really heard them call themselves white. So you made a point yeah. by saying that. So yeah, I, I that stuck to me. I had to I had to go back and think about that. But uh well, I mean 
They know a bunch of black Jews too. <laughs> I know, but I mean, it's Jews. I mean, I know that part. Yeah. But it's you, but me and my white friends that were Jews. I never heard them really call themselves white. So that was that was the thing. I'm like, dang, he right. Yeah. If we, you know, if, if, if we weren't white enough for you know to not be prejudiced, murdered by the millions, uh, you know, not that long ago. Uh, yeah, we white enough to be white now, so screw that title. I'm just, yeah, I'm not religious at all. I mean, I'm very spiritual, but I'm not observant at all. That's cool. But uh, where can people find your book at or follow you? And if they, you know, intrigued by what you said today, they can follow you and, and get more about you and buy your book. <laughs> Yeah, if you uh, Google punk rock alien space girl adventures, you will find me. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on DeviantArt. I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash James Mobius, where for $1 a month you can access over 5,300 illustrations and about seven songs. I'll get more music on there eventually uh, that I've done, including all the thumbnails and pencil sketches. And I got 50 sketchbooks and a lot of paintings. I still have to scan some photographs, some of those. Uh, I'm easy to find online. I don't hide. Yeah. yeah okay. All right, man. Thanks. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show, man. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. All right. I guess you already knew the viewers are going to come after the podcast. You know, he doing that whole T-Rex. But this has been Chill the Green Boss with Specs Thompson and The View from Legacy The View. And you want to read more of his stories. Go check out LegacyView.com or follow him at LegacyView on all social media. And make sure you give us a follow as well at Children Greenbox on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to be on our show, contact us via social media or email at ChildrenGreenbox at gmail.com. And make sure you support James and if you get any guitar from him. Get a book for him or get some artwork for him at least. You know, do something. Support him. Support all our guests. You know what? Be easy, man. And oh yeah, follow me at Spec706.